Let's open our Bibles tonight. Ooh, that's good. Philippians 1, beginning with verse 9. I know that was, we did that Wednesday night. Well, Paul is writing uh, to the Philippian church. Now, this was the church that Paul founded that gave him joy. Joy is the theme of Paul's letter to the Philippians. Joy in Christ. Joy no matter what life brings. Joy in the church. And in the midst of that, these these verses we're reading, I think Paul gives us an example of how to pray for our church. And so we're going to look at these verses, verses 9 through 11, just to see how he says to do that. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, and that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today, uh, just for the Sunday school, for uh, the special music, the sermon we heard this morning, Lord, for everything you've been about, the meal we partook of, the fellowship. Lord, it carried over to the night when I walked in and heard everybody just visiting and and carrying on. It's just your love being expressed by your people, and we thank you for that. We don't ever want to take that for granted. And Lord, would you guide us into your word tonight with your Holy Spirit? Let it go forth in power and in truth. Let it accomplish what you want and teach us what you'd have to gain from your word tonight. Grow us by your word. And as you meet with us, we're so uh, affected. We're, We're so privileged. And we'll leave this place thanking you for being in your house today. For I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I read some history, and there was a time when our U.S. Congress, before they started every, I think they still do it, but before they started any meeting, um, they had prayer. And before they had a full-time chaplain, the different either representatives or senators took turns leading the prayers. That's why I said I think they still do it today. I think they have a full-time one because, well, I better not say that. Some of them I don't think know how to pray, but (laughs) I could be wrong. That's a judgment call, isn't it? But on one particular day, the senator that was to start the Senate didn't show up on time. So another guy approached and, and started to pray. And the, the guy, the head of the Senate, just snapped his gavel and said, By what means do you come forth to pray today? And he said, By the means of any sinner, he was allowed to pray. <laughs> okay? And we need to understand that that's what gives us hope. That's what gives you and I both hope. Because prayer is not only a right, it's a privilege and a duty. Okay? And we should pray that our church models proper Christian growth. Did you hear that? We should pray that our church models proper Christian growth. And so... To do that, we need to pray certain things. And so Paul gives up that. 
First of all, in verse 9, in the first part of verse 10, Paul says that we're to pray for an overflowing love in our church. An overflowing love in our church. What he says is this, and this I pray, okay, this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent. And so he starts off and he says there's an exercise that we need to do and that exercise is prayer. Paul has been thinking about the Philippian church. He's writing them a letter. And as he thinks about this church, he breaks out in thanksgiving. He offers up a prayer for them. And he wants them to possess what he says is abounding love, that it may abound more and more. Uh, and we need to understand that this exercise is that, that these Philippian believers love the Lord. Do you love the Lord? Amen. They loved one another. Do you love one another? Amen. Okay, and they love their church and the apostle Paul a lot. And so he wasn't teaching them how to love because but what he's saying here is look, you're not perfected in your love yet, so pray for an overflowing love, abounding love, one that abounds more and more, overflows more and more. You see, do you realize that when you read Paul's letters, the high water mark for Christian character, according to the apostle Paul, is love. If you don't believe that, read 1 Corinthians 13. He talks about love, and that is human love. But he says we're to love in these ways, okay? Or read Galatians 5, 22. You see, their love was supposed to grow. It was supposed to overflow. And that's what it means, you see. Um, he, he does that. Uh, but then he, he talks about love, and he says... You can't have that apart from Christ. Because all through here he says, because, because Christ is causing the growth, because Christ is doing this, and you'll prove the fruits of righteousness, which are by God alone. You see, and that love is agape love. It means self-sacrificing love. It's a picture of Jesus giving himself willingly on the cross for our benefit, not his benefit, our benefit. And an agape love looks at others and says, I will serve you not for my benefit, but for your benefit. I will love you not to get something from you, but so that you may know the love of Christ. And it's an agape kind of love. It's the nature of it. It's a self-sacrificing, self-giving love. And he says that it would abound more and more. And that's where I get overflowing because the Greek means they're super overflowing. Literally, here's what it means. May your church be flooded with agape love. And you know, most floods are destructive, but a flood of love is not destructive. A flood of love is what our world needs and what we're to show to our world. But then he gives us the environment for love to be exercised. Now, I want you to hear me. You see, love is to be exercised, but it's not some kind of sentimental thing. It's not like a grandpa. Do you hear me? Like a grandpa who just sort of ignores things. You know, because if, if, if Addison does something a little... It's okay, she's with Grandpa. If she wants ice cream for breakfast, of course, if I'm the first one up, she's going to get ice cream for breakfast. I don't care what Mama says. She's not home enough, okay? It's called spoiling. But see, God's love is not like that. And, and here, here's what he says. He says, look, that, that you'll abound still more and more. And he says, in knowledge and all discernment. And see, those are like the banks of a river. See, we love an agape-type love by having knowledge and all discernment. 
And so I thought, well, what does that mean? It's, it's really this. It means full knowledge by experience. It means knowledge of God, God in His ways, God in His words, love of God that He wants you to express to others. In other words, we know about God's love because we have experienced it. We have been forgiven of our sins if we have accepted Jesus Christ. We know how much God loves us because His Word says that and the experience proves that. And that's the knowledge He wants. That's one bank of the river that, that holds it in proper context. And the other is all discernment. It's a word that speaks of moral uh, insight. Okay, It means that you act properly towards one another and towards the outside world. It's an it's a overflowing of love, but, but it, it has direction. It has purpose. We're to show that love towards one another. Okay? There are times when people walk into our service, churchmen walk into our service, they got a smile on their face and their hearts are breaking. And the Holy Spirit will direct us to love them in a certain way. It might be a pat on the back. It might be an attaboy or girl. It might be, oh, you look lovely today. Or, oh, you look so handsome in that tie. Have you ever noticed little kids when you tell them that, their face just lights up? The adults do the same thing. It's like watering a flower. They just go, ooh, that was nice. And so that kind of love lets people know. All right? It, it, it sort of works like this. Uh, this is how we're talking today. And, and uh, you remember we had our revival. And Dr. Tucker came and gave our revival. And, and uh, Galen, what's the other guy that came and preached? Marcus. Marcus Brown. And they bragged on y'all and bragged on y'all. They bragged here to me and Brother Gannon. They bragged down at the state convention. You know, people, oh, you pastor that church they were talking about. Yes, I do. <laughs> it made you feel good to have them talk about the church. And our, our missionary family said uh, some very similar things. And you see, that's because they feel the love that you're directing towards them. But listen, those banks of knowledge and discernment are also so to redirect it towards the lost people. Because lost people don't feel loved in a cold, dark world. Lost people need to experience the love of Jesus. And we need to make sure that our love is, is in knowledge and, and discernment that we prove by our walk and we prove by our talk and we prove by how we live that, yes, we belong to Jesus. We've experienced his love and we're going to love you also. And, you know, too often, now I want you to hear this because this, this, is, this is supposed to rattle your cage. There are groups we don't want to love. Now, if we're honest, they are. Uh, there are groups that make us uncomfortable. You know, uh, I don't know. Maybe you've had some homosexual people you knew. They don't make you comfortable, do they? Now, then just be honest. Okay. Yeah, I can take it or leave it, right? You know, well, uh, I worked with several that were, you know, that I made friends because I wanted to win them to Christ. But believe me, they made me nervous. Okay, maybe they didn't make, maybe it's my age. Galen tells me I'm out of touch and I shouldn't be that way. No, he doesn't. He doesn't say that. No, I'm, I'm just so, threw him under the bus, didn't I? I was teasing. I really was because Galen helps me to realize that I have to play well with others. The other denominations, other people, young people, old people. You know, he, he helps me with that. He really does. But, but you see, there are those that, I believe, maybe not our church, but the church as a whole has sort of backed away from and says, 
No, we, we don't love you. And yet Jesus tells us to love them without loving the sin. Does that make sense? And you say, well, well how can you do that? Well, I love you. I don't, I, don't, I don't have to approve of your lifestyle to love you. That's where they separate it. Okay. No, I don't have to approve of a lifestyle of a drunk or a homosexual or a wife beater. Or I can keep going on and on to sins. I don't have to approve of that lifestyle. I may still love the sinner, but I don't have to agree with that. And that's what moral discernment and distinction here means in guiding our love. I can love you without approving of that lifestyle. I love you in the name of Jesus because you were created in his image. I love you in the name of our Lord because he died for your sins. And you need to come to him and experience him. And see, that's where sometimes we get a little bit off base is because we think, well, you can't approve of what they did, so you can't love them. Yeah, we can. You love the individual. You love the person. You know, uh, I actually had some young men in my church, one of my churches that were involved in that lifestyle. And, and when they came crying uh, about the gospel and crying about what they had done, I gave them uh, some help, help that I couldn't give them to help them get out of that lifestyle. And of the three that came doing that, two made it out. One I'm still praying for, but two did. And those two are now married and have children and are living productive lives. As a matter of fact, our, our uh, what's the name of that? Facts and Trends magazine we got this week. What's her name, Galen? Jackie Hill Perry has a new book out. Okay. From A Gay Girl and a Good God. And you think, I don't know if I want to read that. Yeah, you do. Because it tells how God found her in her situation and loved her till she became a Christian. And how now she's out of that lifestyle, married, has children, and is witnessing to all who will listen about God's grace. Okay? And you say, well, I don't, yeah, it's going to be more prevalent. And I'm telling you, the knowledge and discernment are the two banks. You love them in the way God loves them. But you don't have to approve of the lifestyle. And that could be any lifestyle. It's not just a homosexual one. You need to understand that. That also applies to, to Muslims. Now, maybe Muslims don't scare you. But, you know, uh, they scare you. <laughs> yeah, you said that out loud. Yes, you did, Sue. <laughs> well, but you see, rather than being scared... Uh, we show them the love of Christ. That's, that's why I'm, uh, I'm proud of Chris and his family. They live. You know that. Don't, don't say where they live because it, it's, it's a no-no. Just say he is in Southeast Asia if you tell somebody, okay? Everybody understands that, right? Or he is doing the Lord's work. Just don't say where, okay? Because they can kick him out of the country or arrest him for being there. But he does. He works. He guides uh, he, like he told you, fly fishes, but you think about being in that kind of a culture, and yet they have Muslim people that, are bef- that they have befriended that are coming to eat in their home, which is to come into a Westerner's home and eat a meal is highly unusual. So he's having an impact where they're at, okay? And that's what knowledge and discernment. I don't approve or support your... your uh, lifestyle of wanting to convert everybody to your religion, whether you have to kill them or not. But I still love you. There's a distinction. It's knowledge and discernment. Okay, some of you look at me like, go on, okay. He says, the end result is for the purpose that we may approve the things which are excellent. 
Approve is an old Greek word. And it means to test that which is genuine. It was a picture in that day. You know, they had gold or silver coins. And the gold coins, if they were real, to make sure they weren't just coated with gold, they would bite them. And it would make an indentation. And if it looked like gold all the way through, it was the genuine article. And so he's saying that we may approve those things which are excellent. It's a test for that which is genuine. It, 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 the main idea, I think, is, is not, it's choosing between things that differ. They look similar, but they differ. It's not choosing between that which is evil and that which is good. It's choosing between that which is good and that which is best. It, it, it's the way that, that we approve the things that are excellent. It's like this. It keeps our focus on Christ and what he would have us to do. Does that make sense? The world has got all kinds of good things, but they're not the things that are the best. They're not the things to spend our lives on. They're not the things to take priority in our lives. They're not the things that, that really matter the most. They, 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 they're, don't get me wrong, they're good things, but they're not the best. And the best is serving Christ. The best is telling others about Jesus. The best is showing the world a genuine Christian by our love. That song, they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Because the love is not our love. It's agape love. You cannot manufacture agape love unless Jesus Christ lives in your heart or lives in your life. Unless the Holy Spirit controls you. Because it's just not possible. Okay, well, it is for me. Well, I don't think so. But I can tell you for a fact it's not for your pastor. Because my nature runs contrary to that. I think I've shared this illustration before, but it was a... A good illustration for me for uh, sacrificial love. Uh, back in the Korean War, the USS Pueblo was captured by the North Koreans. And they captured 86 men, if I remember correctly. And 13 of them relate this story as true as what happened to them. They were tortured, and here's the way they took these 13 men. They sat them in a big room, and they had to sit upright, rigid in a chair, almost like standing at attention, but sitting and not waver for hours and hours. And at some predetermined hour that they never knew when, uh, the guard would throw up in the door and beat whoever was in that chair right at the door, just almost senseless with the butt of the rifle. The next day, at some predetermined hour, he'd beat him in again, that first chair, wop, wop, wop with that rifle. After the third time, the other 12 knew that that guy wasn't going to survive another beating. And so one young sailor said, I'll sit there. And so the guard didn't even look. He just broke in the door and started beating. It was a different guy. The next day, another one stepped up and took that chair. Until all of them were taking turns in that horrible chair. Now think about it. They cared enough for one another, knowing what was going to happen. Not knowing when, but knowing that during the day while they sat in that chair, somebody's going to break the door down. And beat them senseless with the butt of a rifle. And they said that went on for a couple of weeks. And after they started doing chairs, the guards finally gave up and thought of other means of amusing themselves. Because they could not defeat that kind of love for one another. You see, the devil can defeat a lot of our quote-unquote good works. He cannot defeat love for each other and for our world. You see... They can criticize us for a lot of stuff, but they have nothing to say. They get awful mute when we have genuine love, and it shows forth inside these walls and outside these walls. And we need to understand that. You see, 
it, it, it helps us to focus, to remember the love we're supposed to have. And so if you're going to pray for this church, the first thing you pray is that literally God will overflow or flood this place with his love. And that we will live it outside these walls. The second thing he talks about in the second part of verse 10 verse 11 is a blameless lifestyle. A blameless lifestyle. So he said in the first part that you may prove those things which are excellent. We've discussed that. And then he says that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. I don't know about you, but that's what I want to do. I want to try, strive to do. Think about it. Being sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So... When he talks about a blameless life file, he talks first of all about a dependence. You see, just as bounding love or overflowing love depends on Christ, you have to trust Christ totally in his provision for our forgiveness and in his spirit's power for our lives. God did not want us to fail in our Christian walk. That's why he gave us his word and he gave us his spirit. Verse 6 says this. Now I want you to hear it. Being confident of this very thing, that he, God, who has begun a good work in you, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God has a good work to do through you. God saved you for it. God began it. God will complete it. But we have to depend on his spirit to do that. It's a dependence that we're walking. Okay, it goes like this. When is the last time... When you get up and you start praying, because I'm assuming that you're doing that, and you read the Word of God, that you ask the Holy Spirit to fill you and empower you for service that day. Now, if you're not praying that, well, I'm not a preacher. Uh Uh-uh. You're a Christian in the workday world. You need it as much as a preacher does, if not more. Did you hear that? You're praying for God, the Holy Spirit to fill you and anoint you for service. And if you're not doing that, that is why you're not having success in walking through your day like you want to walk through it. Did, did you hear me? That you be sincere and without offense. Because believe me, I can offend a lot of people in a short amount of time if I'm not praying properly, if I'm not surrendering properly. But what's the direction? He can consider, he can. Uh, can continues it and he says that you may be sincere it means pure it has a double meaning okay it means this uh, to have something that was really good like let's say they made a beautiful pitcher okay and, and usually it was some kind of clay or something they made it out of it and fired it and they'd glaze it and put it through the kiln but to know if it was really really good you would take it out of the tent or out of the shade of the bazaar where the guys were selling it. And you'd hold it up to sunlight and you would turn it. Now what do you think you were looking for? Cracks, imperfections. Because if it has cracks, it's not going to hold water. It's not going to do what you want it to do. And the, the first aspect of pure means it will stand the test of light. Not just the sunlight, but God's light. And then the second meaning of the word sincere is you would take stuff and 
okay? Say you bought some grain at the market, but to, to know that they hadn't, we call it in our day filler. You know, some products are filled with filler. You know, that sort of disgusts me, filler. But you would take a sieve. Everybody knows what a sieve is, right? You know, a colander, whatever you want to call it. And you'd put it in there, and you'd take water and pour it, and you'd whirl it around, and what came out was the impurities, and you could see how much impurity was in what you were buying. And so, here's what God does to us. He puts us in the sieve. He pours the hot water or whatever in, and He swirls us around to get the impurities out. So when people look, they see the genuine article, the sincere, the pure Christianity. So if you feel like the world is swirling around, God is putting you through the sieve for your benefit and for the world's benefit. Nobody's going to admit to being sieved. Is that a word? Put through the sieve? I better put it that way. Hmm? Yeah, they do the same thing. You swirl it around that, that pan or you take it through that, that uh, shaker. They do the same thing at the diamond mine up there at Murfreesboro where you dig in the dirt and they, you pour water over the dirt. The only thing I ever got out of that was mud pies. <laughs> I never did find the genuine article. Okay. But you understand what I'm saying. It's a blameless lifestyle. Now, only God can do that for us. When you start reading Romans 12, 1 and 2, of presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice, okay? When you read Romans 8, 28 and 29, He's going to conform us to the image of His Son. Okay? Only God does that, but that's what He does. And we need to say it's but so we'll be sincere, pure, without offense. Without offense means to be blameless. And I thought, well, to be blameless of what? Now, here's what it means. Are you ready? Not to cause others to stumble. Whoa. That's a big deal, isn't it? You see, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get down to some things you may not agree with, and that's okay. People all the time ask, asking me, Well, Brother Gary, you can't prove to me that the Bible says you can't drink. Because I'm, I'm pretty much death on social drinking. If you didn't know that, well, I am. Well, you can't prove it. It doesn't say not drink. Well, the Bible does say not to drink strong drink. That's my first point. And you need to understand something. Compared to what they did in Jesus' day, everything we have today is strong drink. Okay, because they had a different ferment process that we didn't start till the 15th century. So don't tell me that, that it's the same thing. The second thing is this. When you read the Apostle's letters, and he talks about talking to, about off uh, eating meat offered to idols. You know what I'm talking about in Corinthians? He said, I will not do it. Not because I can't, because it's lawful for me to do it. I won't do it because it causes others to stumble. There's the word. Offense. Scandalize. And you see, I could be sitting there. Now, don't misquote me on this. And I could say, well, it's lawful for me. I'm just going to kick back and have a cold one. Whatever that means. And I just chug a lug. It's lawful for me to do that. I mean, I'm not getting drunk. The Bible says not to get drunk. That's my third reason not to drink. Because most of the time we drink in America to get a buzz. And the Bible says don't do that. So don't tell me it doesn't because it says not to do that. But here's what happens. I'm sitting there chug a lugging. And, and let's say somebody walks in on me and sees me. There's Michael. <gasps> Brother Gary. Well, if he can, I can. And maybe he gets hooked on alcohol and becomes an alcoholic. Whose fault is that? I caused him to stumble. It's scandalous. 
And so what the Apostle Paul says, I'll neither eat nor drink or do anything to cause a brother to stumble. That's the word. And so when we're talking about living a pure life, a a life that is good and wholesome, you see, it's a life without offense, that we're serious about being Christians. It means not to cause the stumble to, to, to do that. You see, it's in our attitudes, our talk, our actions. It means we're not satisfied with living like the world lives. Does that make sense? I'm not sure it does, but you see, the results of... Living a blameless life is God's grace and power. It means that I'm not self-satisfied, but I'm only going to be God-satisfied. So I do my best to approve the things that are excellent, to love folks as I'm supposed to love them, and <clears throat> that I'm not going to cause offense, that I'm going to be sincere, pure, joyous. And because of that, the results spelled out, I'm filled with the fruit of righteousness, which are... By Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. In other words, God looks, people of the world looks, and they see my life. Now, you realize when they see your wise, they're not seeing much. But if I'm living right and the Holy Spirit has control and I'm sincere, they see something different and they know something's different. And then they figure out it's Jesus. And when they get that, they start thinking, Maybe I need to reconsider this. Maybe this is applicable to my life. Maybe this means something to the way I'm supposed to live. See, the church has a bad reputation among younger generations of being totally out of touch with anything that's important to them. Well, my my reaction to that is they're not looking at the things that are really important. (laughs) But they're lonely. They can't find peace. They don't have a bunch of joy. I mean, they may get high, they may do this or that, but in a little bit, that's gone, and they feel empty. So they're looking. And if they see a believer, any believer, you, me, others, they're living the Christian life in the way Paul says to do it here, they want it. And so you pray that the love will overflow, flood. And you pray that the lives of the church will be blameless till the day of Jesus Christ without offense. And you specifically pray what he said, the blameless men, and, and, and what he said, the sincere men. And you pray that the fruit of God will be multiplied in the lives of believers in that church because it's winsome. It makes people hungry and thirsty for what we have. You see... We need to understand that. We need to get back to that. David Brainerd was a missionary uh, to the Indians of the Northwest United States. He died at 30 years of age of ill health because he stayed there because he loved the Indians that he ministered to. When he died... He wrote some things in his diary, and they read it. He said, the one thing that I decided I could do that I never got away from was this, Jesus and him crucified. And when my people, these Indians, started getting the doctrine that Jesus died for them and he was crucified and rose again, and that they had to love one another like Jesus had loved them, it transformed the whole tribe. 
They began to put the garments of holiness on. Their, their common life began to be sanctified. And, and uh, he said, when a Christian realizes Christ is and what Christ has done for him, we've seen that it has a dramatic effect, effect on life. Do we remember who Christ is? Do we remember what he really did for us? See, the church is not lucky to have me. I am lucky to have Jesus. And that's the attitude we're supposed to have. I meet too many that, you know, they strut around like peacocks. And boy, oh boy, they are spiritual. And if you want to just absorb some of it, just to come here and I'll drip it on you. And I want to say the only way you got it, if you have it at all, is because you've sat at the feet of Jesus. And if you've sat at the feet of Jesus, then come share with me. If you haven't been spending time Jesus, you just keep your spirituality to yourself. Now, I'm a pessimist. I've seen a lot of life and not very much of it good until I became a pastor and started seeing good church folks and realized there is such a thing as a Christian. But my father-in-law told me something a long time ago. People who play at spirituality, who pretend to be real real spiritual... Are you ready for it? Aren't. Nobody has to tell you they're spiritual. If you're living the way this is with a boundless love and a sincere heart that will not offend, people will be drawn to you because you are spiritual. We don't have to play. We don't have to put on masks. Jesus just comes out when you have Jesus. I like the way one little girl, we were on a mission trip uh, to Kentucky when I was a young pastor, and she was saved at the vacation Bible school. And the pastor of that church was getting ready to baptize her and said, Well, how do you know you're saved? And here was her response. I feel as if I have swallowed sunshine. Now, have you heard a better description of being saved? I feel like I have swallowed sunshine. And you need to understand, this came from a real poor area of Kentucky. Her family had nothing. She had nothing. Uh, We did a clothes drive and gave away clothes. And those kids didn't care what they looked like as long as they weren't hand-me-downs and they were the right size. I'd never seen anything like it. They had no shoes. And winter was coming up. And they were just glad to have shoes that fit. I, I mean, it brought me to tears. Those young people, we took them back. And their parents came two, three months later and said, I don't know what you did, but I want my kid to go next year. They went from wanting name brand stuff to, we don't care as long as it fits, mom, dad. They went from being selfish to giving away stuff that they didn't need that they had extra in the schools around them. It transformed them because for the first time they saw what Christianity was really supposed to look like. I swallowed sunshine. Now would you bow your head and close your eyes? Maybe you need to come tonight and pray for our church. That God will keep us. That God will bless us. That God will keep Satan out. That God will cause love to overflow. And that we will be sincere 
and show forth the fruits of rightness. So we live a blameless lifestyle. I want you to pay that for me. Maybe you need to come and pray it for yourself. Maybe you need to come pray it for others that you know of your family. Maybe you need to come in rededication to join the church. Maybe to be saved because you haven't ever swallowed sunshine. You got dunked. You didn't get saved. Whatever you need to do tonight, we're going to stand after I pray. Brother Ron is going to lead us in him invitation. You come as you need to come. Father God, thank you for all you're about in our lives, how you bless us. Thank you with all the different things that are going on. I think Brother Chris was correct. The devil is waylaying us because God is wanting to do something special here. So, Father, give us the grace to make it through what he's doing. Father, I just ask now that your will and only your will be done in our midst. That if we need to come forward and make a decision or to pray for others, that we'll do that and obey you. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Will you stand, please?